Well, again, week three of our series. I'm going to call this message uh, Behaving Badly. Not because we're going to talk about bad behavior per se. We, you know, it's church. We, we talk about bad behavior. But we're not, going to, we're not going to major. We're not going to focus on it um, this morning. Um, and again, it's not because there's apparently a movie or a TV series I found out a little bit too late. I, you know, Behaving Badly, it just rung really well with me. And then uh, somebody told me, oh, that's a TV show or a movie, something. But that's not the reason. That's not the reason we, we chose this, this title. It's basically because so many people are using really, really bad theology Right, a bad, a, a misunderstanding of the way God works. Let's put it that way, right? Bad theology in order to produce good behavior. Not only good behavior, but spiritual growth and maturity, right? And, and we know, you know, that, that good behavior isn't the same as spiritual maturity, right? I, I know, and, I, and you probably know a lot of people who behave really well, but they're spiritually immature. Or they might not even be spiritual at all, but they can still produce some good behavior, right? So they're, they're not the same thing. They're, they're not the same thing. Um, but we as Christians, we, we kind of put them together. We mash them together um, to our own detriment, right? We, 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 we feel like, well, if I, if I, if I make the right choices and, and if I, I, I do the right things, then I will be spiritually mature. The two are synonymous, but they're really, really not. They, they need to, to remain separate um, because they're not the same, um, and that, that's basically what we're going to look at this morning. Um, as Christians, and th- this is kind of why I've put good behavior, mashed it together with spiritual maturity, is because as Christians, we believe, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that the Bible has all the answers to all of our hang-ups, right? All of our, our, our bad habits, all of our, our, our defense mechanisms, and the walls that we build up to protect ourselves, um, we believe that the Bible has answers to this. So in our minds, again, we, we kind of put them together. But the problem, the problem with that is when we conflate spiritual growth maturity with good behavior, um, we wind up with a very, very, very confusing world of oughts and shoulds. Oughts and shoulds. You ought to do this and you should be doing that. And, and, and they, they're kind of all over the map. And they, they actually contradict each other. Um, like some are really good and some are really, really healthy. Um, in the Gospels, one teacher of the law asked Jesus. Um, the fact of the matter is, um, this question, um, which commandment is the greatest, um, in, in Matthew and Mark, I'm not sure I get this straight, in Matthew and Mark, the question is, which commandment is greatest? But in the book of Luke, if you check that out, the Gospel of Luke, um, the question is, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Bottom line, um, in all three cases, Jesus replies in basically the same way. Here's what you ought to be doing. Here's what you should be focusing on. And this, everybody knows this passage, Matthew chapter 22. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking at home, why didn't he include the fourth world? Where's, where's strength, right? We, we read heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if you take a few moments, kind of dig into your Bible, you look through the four Gospels, and you find out, strangely enough, Matthew only includes three of the four. Now, Mark and Luke include all four. They include strength. You see heart and soul, they'll include have mind and then also have strength. Now, the weird thing is Jesus is quoting an Old Testament 
passage here. This is from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. The whole passage is verses 4 through 9. It's the Shema. This is what the Jewish people would, would, uh, this is their morning prayer. Um, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. And then it says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And there's only three in Deuteronomy. The third word isn't mind, it's strength. Now, think about that just for a moment, and it really represents a a radical change that happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament that really messes us up just a little bit. In the Old Testament, it really was all your strength, right? You either, you, you, you obeyed the laws or you didn't, and when you didn't obey the laws, you had to bring in a sacrifice. It was all up to you, your strength, your heart and your soul and your strength. It was completely up to you. And then we have, interestingly, in the New Testament, we have an introduction of this word mind. And it wasn't there in the Old Testament. Because in the New Testament, we get this idea that we can begin to agree to certain propositions, and that saves us. Right? So in the New Testament, it's like, well, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then you're a Christian. In the Old Testament, you were a follower of God because you tithed. It's not because you thought something or believed something. Someone could look at you and say, oh, you don't tithe. You must not be a believer. And they would be right. You would be an unpracticing Jew. We, we have that word there. Are you a practicing Jew or not practicing Jew? And basically that, that means are you religious or not, right? Are you culturally Jewish or are you religiously Jewish? Um, so in the Old Testament, it was all about the strength. But in the New Testament, we get this idea that we can uh, mentally, with just our minds, that we can participate in, in, in the God, triune God, and, and just not the case. Um, if we just use these words, heart, soul, and mind, here, here's kind of what happens in, in our heads. We can throw the word strength up there, and that just kind of makes the situation even more acute. We look at these three, four words, and we kind of glump them all together in our heads, and we arrive at, I'm going to try really, let's see, really, really, really hard. And if there's four of them, I'm going to try really, 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 really hard, right? And that's just kind of where we arrive at. I'm just, and if they had a fifth word and a sixth word up there, well, then I'd try really, 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 really hard, right? And and that's kind of where we arrive at, and it's, it's kind of all about us. And we forget the fact that we're a soul. We, we have souls. We're not just a body of biochemical bones and muscle and, and gross stuff, right? We have a spark of the divine in us, right? We have the Holy Spirit residing within us, within every cell of our body. We are inhabited by the Holy, the Holy Spirit. We also forget the fact that it's that's really from our heart that either good or bad behavior, that's where it really takes root in it and it germinates, right? Germinates and then takes root. Um, it, it enters through our minds, but here's where it really starts happening and becomes part of our life um, in our hearts. But instead we focus on, again, we put those all four, three of the words you're looking at, but throw the word in strength. We put all four words together and we arrive at simply mind and strength. Mind and strength. We focus just on minds and strength. I'm not sure why. I guess because it's kind of hard. How do you work really hard on your heart or your soul? Those are both not very, get your hands, you know, get your head around. But, but the mind and strength, those are things that we can do, right? That, that, that fits in our wheelhouse. We're good at that. We can think something through and we can, right, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. But instead, again, we focus on just our minds and our strength, but no heart and soul. 
And again, we end up with just a lot of oughts and shoulds. Here's a couple that shouldn't be. To grow spiritually, I should change my behavior. To grow spiritually, I should make right choices. Now, it's within this theology, this, this understanding of, like, this is the way God operates, right? He says, okay, if you start making good choices, I will make you spiritually mature. But that's not what the Bible says at all. It's like, it's like just the opposite, right? Within this, this misunderstanding of the way God works, we'll call it bad theology, um, all of our problems are the result of bad choices, wrong choices. Therefore, the solution is simply make better choices, make right choices. Where before you're making wrong choices, now you make right choices, boom, you're saved. That, 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 that's kind of where you have to end up if, if, this is, if this is what's driving you. All I got to do is change my behavior. All I got to do is make right choices, and boom, I'm going to grow spiritually, right? Knowledge and willpower, mind and strength. And if that's all we're focused on, then the cause of spiritual growth and maturity becomes right choices. We just make right choices, and boom, we become mature. And it sounds so Christian, right? It sounds so right. Fact of the matter is, the Bible says a lot about making choices, right choices. Probably the most famous one, this is Joshua, chapter 24. A lot of you might even have this on a plaque in your home. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, this is Joshua talking to the Israelites as they move into the promised land. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So choices are really, really important, and some of them are like really long-term, right? They're eternal choices. But the problem is that we can make a commitment or we can, we can make a choice in one moment, and we can sabotage it in the very next moment, right? You, you guys have all experienced this, right? I'm, I'm going to diet. I'm going to go on a diet, and three weeks later, lo and behold, I weigh 20 pounds more. <laughs> what, what happened there, right? Or I decide, you know, I got an explosive temper. I'm not going to let my temper get the best of me. And that very night, right, I'm exploding and screaming at my kids because they spilt milk. <laughs> what happened to my commitment? Maybe, maybe you've decided, I'm, I'm gonna, man, I'm going I'm to start a new prayer life. I'm going to have a devotional. I'm going to get up every morning at 6 o'clock, and then you know how, where this is going, right? Six o'clock rolls around, and you, you hit the snooze button, and you hit it again and again and again. Just mentally deciding to change our behavior and start making better choices is a dead end. Because willpower, and that's basically what this is, it's willpower. That's a, that's a human doctrine. It's not a biblical doctrine. So this morning, we want to look at the biblical doctrine. Um, we're told by behavioralists um, that emotions always follow behavior, Right? You've heard this a lot of times. You act lovingly towards somebody, and eventually you'll actually love him, them, whoever it may be. Um, but that's not really always the case. That, that happens a lot of times, sometimes, um, particularly if there's already something there to work with. You've already got some heart involved. It's very easy to fall back into love with somebody. Um, it works sometimes, but it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. Emotions don't always follow behavior. Sometimes emotions follow behavior. But more often than not, here's what happens. Our mental commitments, they quickly lose out to our compulsive behaviors that we've created to kind of protect ourselves, right? Those walls that we built up, those um, compulsive behaviors, those behavior patterns that we've become very, very comfortable with because they help us. 
right? They help deal with the pain and they help deal with the confusion. They help deal with whatever we don't want to deal with. And so it becomes the easy alternate route, so to speak. So again, why, why do our mental commitments, those commitments that we make to God, why do they always lose out to these compulsive behaviors that we're trying to stop, right? And we're like, oh, I've got to stop this behavior. Here's the reason. It's our compulsive behaviors are driven by our hearts. Again, those are the things that we've reverted to because they're easy and they don't require pain, so our hearts love that, right? But those mental commitments are all, all up here. And as many of you will have found out by now, maybe you still got to discover this, heart always trumps the mind, right? You're going to want to do, whatever you want to do will always lose out to what you love to do. Let me say that again. What you want to do will always lose out to what you love to do, at least on the inside, right? There's a story of a, a, a dad, you know, telling a kid, hey, sit down. The kid would not sit down. And finally, finally, dad really gets in his face. And the kid finally sits down, throws his arm, says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing up. Right? So that, that's really where we arrive at, almost like a deceptive lifestyle. I'll, I'll show you what you want to see, but on the inside, I hate you. I hate everything you stand for, but I'll do what you tell me to do. To grow spiritually, we need to address our entire selves, not just our minds and our strength. In that passage that Jesus quoted so many times, what happened to heart and soul? Right? We just focus on the mind and the strength, and it's, that's a dead end. Here's how all this kind of plays out in Scripture, right? Kind of give you a great scriptural picture of this. Um, this is in my life, maybe probably in yours too. Um, in the first passage, I'm going to be reading in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has entered Jerusalem. It's the week of the Passover. The crowds are cheering him as the Messiah, right? Son of David, the anointed one has finally arrived. We are going to become top dogs once again, right? But the Jewish authorities at every turn, they're challenging this title, right? The crowds are, are saying Messiah and the Jewish, the Jewish authorities are saying, no, 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 no. He's not the Messiah. Don't, don't, don't believe him. Don't believe him. So they're questioning them, they're questioning that assumption at every turn. So Jesus tells one of several stories that he tells in Scripture for different reasons. Um, and a lot of his stories, you'll notice, they always involve a dad and two sons. Now, as you dig through some of these stories, you recognize the dad is nearly always God, and the two sons are always like sinners and not sinners, or the, the Jewish people and the Gentiles. There's always kind of a good and a bad. And so as you read these stories, you kind of got to pick who you are, but you got to be honest. So in this first story, Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 and 29, it says this. There was a man, and again, in this passage, the Jewish authorities had been bagging on Jesus, right? You know, produce the signs that John produced, right? If you're who you say you are, and so Jesus tells this story. It says, there was a man who had two sons, and he went to the first, and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. You know, dad owned a vineyard. And the first son says, I will not go out and work in the vineyard. But later on, he changed his mind, and he went out, and he worked in dad's vineyard. Verse 29 says, But then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. But the second son answered, I will go. But then he didn't go. Right? So you catch this idea. The first son is being honest. Right? He, he, he rebelled. Um, he thinks better of it. And he repents. 
right? He comes to his senses, and he, he, he realizes, you know, he's heading down the wrong road. And, and really, this, this, this son represents a crowd of sinners. Jesus loves the sinners because they're honest. They recognize that they need a doctor, right? The Pharisees and some of the other religious leaders, they think they've got it all figured out. They don't need any more from God. <laughs> Crazy, I know. So the second son, he's dishonest. And again, maybe not intentionally. Maybe he just kind of got caught up in, a, in the cultural norms of the day. This is the way you do it. This is the way you become spiritual. Maybe it was intentional, you know, for different people, different reasons. But bottom line, bottom line, um, the second son pretends to repent. And again, not maybe, maybe he's not even conscious of it. Pretends to repent, but secretly he's in full rebellion the entire time. This is the Pharisees, right? They, they, they do a good show. Hey, I'll, I'll go out in the field. We'll do blah, blah, blah. But on the inside, what's really going on is I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> this is kind of me too. This is the way kind of I, I grew up, and, and I, I don't want to bag on any of my teachers or my parents or anything like that. But, but, but growing up, I said all the right things. I did all the right things. But in my heart, I didn't really want to say and do all those right things, right? There's such a thing as right intention, and pure intention. I had the right intention, but my intentions weren't pure. They didn't come from my heart. They came from my head. Like I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want God mad at me. And so I operated out of fear and I did everything I was told to do. No heart and soul involved whatsoever. So eventually, you know, I, I did them because uh, that's what I was told to do. Here are the things that you do if you want to be you know, everything that God wants you to be. I want to be that. But it all stayed up here and it never made it down into here. So eventually I stopped going to church. It's like the second son. You just stop going altogether. Second story in Scripture. It's almost like uh, the second story. This is in Luke chapter 15. A lot of you know this story. This is the, the parable of the prodigal son. And it's almost like, and I, I, I have no idea if these two stories, where they are, how far apart they are, weeks, years, months, um, different gospel writers inserted different stories in different places in their gospels to say what they needed to say. It's not that they were contradicting each other, but they slipped Jesus' sayings and teachings within different contexts to make their point to the audience that they were speaking to. You guys, I think you understand all that. Um, but in this story, the parable of the prodigal son, um, let me start reading. Verse 11, 11 and 12. There was a man who had two sons, right? There's another story. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. This was unheard of. This was just so rude, so wrong. But the dad, because he loved his son, divided up his property between the two sons and gave his younger son his share. Um, now, as you find out, again, I don't know if Jesus intended this, but in this prodigal son story, you have fleshed out the story of those first two sons and the way they related to their father, one honestly and one dishonestly, it's almost like, okay, Jesus, like I'm going to expand that story and this is what their life would look like. Let's take a snapshot. Let's peek in on them, uh, what their life looked like. And, and we have the, the parable of the prodigal son. And in this story, the younger son, which in the first story was the first son, um, he takes the dough, 
that dad gave him, his inheritance. He spends it all, right? Realizes that love of dad and family was worth far more than what he had spent all his money on, and he returns repentant, right? He's, he's decided in his heart that that stuff wasn't, it didn't deliver, right? The love of his father always delivered, and, and he finally had a good comparison, and he realized, uh, no, and yes, I, I want to go back to my father. I, I, re- I now realize how much I, I love him. The desires of his heart had changed. So his father welcomes him with a fatted calf and a big old party. In the meantime, very different stories emerging with the other son. He's out in the field. You know, he hears a party. He hears music. He hears singing. He looks at his, I don't know, his time dial, whatever he had going on out there, and he realizes, hey, this isn't right and proper. It's still a work day. Why are people in from the fields? And he's getting a little bent because people are breaking the rules. So he goes and investigates, right? And he sees this big old party going on, and he realizes this is for the younger son. He'd already written off, right? Dad, you should have written off that younger son years ago. What a loser. Look at all the stuff he's doing. Look what he did to you. Oh, my goodness. Why did you even let him back on the property? Picking up at verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. In the older brother, we have represented a person who loves with all their mind and strength, but zero heart and soul. Can you see this beginning to develop? All mind and strength, all humanness, but absolutely absent of heart and soul, right, where the Holy Spirit resides and in influences us right this is where we end up following rules doing religious things in hopes of maturing and conquering our bad habits this older son had said and done everything correctly whether he wanted to or not whether he understood why or not he had towed the line he did everything he was supposed to do all the right behaviors he had made all the right choices this is where you end up with that kind of reasoning, that kind of a theology. Verse 29, it says this, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Notice it's slaving for you rather than working alongside you, right? In other words, I do everything for you and you do nothing for me. Have you ever said that to your parents or had your kids say that to you? It's like, Continue, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Notice that the older son apparently is sin-free. He's never sinned, right? In other words, I made all the right choices, like them or not. Now, where's my reward? This is the attitude that develops when we've decided that, hey, all I got to do is change my behavior, and then God's kind of got to like me. (laughs) I got to be okay. He's got to be okay with me because I followed all the rules. Continued, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friend. You notice an incredibly ungracious heart. It's as if I deserve, I deserve everything that you just gave to that loser freely. Let me say that again. I deserve everything that you just gave to my little loser brother. You just gave to him willy-nilly. That's why this story is better called the prodigal God, the story of the prodigal God. Prodigal meaning giving crazy with no limits. 
These are the attitudes that develop when we buy into this assumption that spiritual maturity is somehow purchased or gained with good behavior. By doing the right things, behaving in a certain way, not in other ways. The passage continues, but when your son of yours, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. And again, notice the older son is now making up sins for his younger brother. Like, I'll bet you were doing this. And I'll bet you're doing this. This is the crazy part. A lot of people have made a comment on this. More than likely, this is what the older brother wanted to do, right? But he made right choices. He never really dealt with his heart. I think he had some loves in his heart that he's now put on his younger brother. That's making him bitter, making him incredibly resentful to the point where I think in his heart, um, Dad, I hate you. He's, he's actually making up sins for his younger brother. Or maybe you've done that before. You look at somebody whose life's going better or you, you see that their life's going bad, and you say, I'll bet you they're doing this, and I'll bet you they're doing that, and I'll bet you they're in this trouble because they did this, and you have no idea. You, you just stop that. Just stop that. Bottom line, here's the bottom line. Changing only our behavior forces us first into Phariseeism, right? I can do this all on my own. I can follow all the rules, then you got to love me. And finally, into despair, and you just quit going to church altogether. You quit participating in your faith. The first sign of slipping into Phariseeism is when you begin to substitute sacrifice for obedience. When you begin to substitute an outward appearance for what's going on inside, as long as I'm doing everything on the outside, as long as appearances are kept up, as long as everybody sees that I'm doing all the the right things, you don't need to know what's going on in here. Um, That doesn't count. That's so, so wrong. Again, we begin to substitute an outward sacrifice like what Douglas was saying um, for true inward change, right? A heart and soul change. Um, This is basically, if you're substituting sacrifice, more than likely you're being driven by fear, fear that God's going to be angry with you, fear that he's going to send you to hell, fear of whatever, and not out of love, right? This mindset also discourages a sense of responsibility, right? Don't ask questions. Just obey. Everything will work out. Just do what you're supposed to do. Just behave. Just make right choices. Everything, you'll become spiritual. Don't, all that will work itself out. Um, and really, it, 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 it discourages a sense of responsibility. We, we, therefore, we're not responsible for, for what we do, right? Um, just kind of goes to pieces. Um, changing only our behavior promotes lying, just like in the first story. Right? You've got to keep up appearances so you're dishonest with people. The older son, the second son, was completely dishonest. Changing only our behavior denies our fallenness. At, at its heart, this whole idea of just do it, just do right behavior, just make right choices, it means that you can obey. You're just choosing not to. You just don't want it bad enough. But the big truth is just the opposite. We all sin. We all struggle. And God has a crazy amount of room in his heart for folks who fail and they sin over and over again. He's got a tremendous amount of love, deep, deep love for us who will admit, I can't do this by myself. I cannot do this on my own. I can't make right choices and stick with them. I can't choose good behavior and stick with it. I just, I can't do it. Because my heart's not involved. It's just kind of all up here still. 
Possibly the worst result of changing only your behavior, right, by way of knowledge and willpower, mind and strength, is that it insults, it denies, it completely denies the power of God's transformation, right, the power of the cross, right? It places the power for change squarely on our shoulders, and it assumes that we have the power to be right with God, and that was, that's Phariseeism. That's what the Pharisees thought. By making sure that they followed all the rules, they were right with God, and they would look at the people and say, oh, you can't follow the rules, therefore you must not love him very much. You must not be trying very hard, when in fact what they had set up for the people was impossible, it was literally impossible. When we deny the power of the cross, we then have to shoulder the mistakes and the anxiety and the condemnation and the guilt instead of Jesus. And that weighs on us. Right? So knowledge and willpower, mind and strength, simply won't get us to where we want to be. Heart and soul have to be added into the mix right, to experience victory in life. Now, as we saw earlier, popular opinion asserts that repeated actions will bring about spiritual maturity. Right? But I don't think that that's what anybody has experienced in their real life, and that's actually not what the Bible says. Over and over again, the Bible makes clear that our actions, good and bad, are the result of spiritual change, not the cause of it. Good behavior is the cart, not the horse. The horse that drives good behavior is spiritual maturity and not the other way around. Changes in behavior, such as loving, being more forgiving, being more responsible, all that, will only come about when we realize that the problem isn't the fruit. It's not, the problem's not our behavior, the thing that we're hyper-focused on, that we're, we're trying to change. The problem isn't the fruit, it's the tree and the root system from which the fruit is produced. Our behavior actually is, is a spiritual barometer, right? You guys know what a barometer is. As the, as the pressure drops on a barometer, you, you understand what's going on outside that you can't necessarily see. The weather is changing outside. There's going to be some rain coming as that barometer drops. And it's the same way. The barometer with our behavior, it reflects change. It doesn't cause change. The fruit we produce reflects the work that God is doing in our hearts. And you ask, well, how will I know if God is doing a work in my heart or if I'm fighting against what God wants to do in my heart? Paul describes this situation. If you're sitting at home wondering, well, where am I? I'm still struggling. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm going about this all wrong. First step we're going to do is look at the fruit. In your life, look at your feelings surrounding this whole situation, whatever it is in your life that's, that's, that's bothering you. This is from his letter to the Galatians. And he describes, he's setting up two different ways that you can live your life. One by strength and willpower alone, he calls it by the flesh. And the other is by the spirit, heart and soul. It says this, the acts of the flesh, willpower and strength, human effort. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. Look, Paul isn't saying that we all exhibit all of this stuff, right? If you do, man, I, ugh, ugh, right? What he's saying is take your pick. Take your pick. You, if you're honest with yourselves, you will be able to find something on this list that you will, if you're honest, you'll think, uh, you know what, that might be part of my problem, why I keep exploding in anger, why I can't forgive, why I, why I, why I. 
Whichever one applies to you, Paul's saying, hey, you know, take your pick. Can't find one on the list, the list continues. Factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? And so if you can't find your issue on this list, it was a rather long list, um, he has plenty of lists in his other letters, right? <laughs> Start looking through them and, and you'll find, again, if you're honest, you'll find what might be your root problem. Um, the point being, the point being is this. When we recognize that we can't pull it off alone, when we humble ourselves, right, when we swallow our pride, when we admit that we need both earthly and heavenly help, right, when we admit our spiritual poverty and when we admit all the needs that are outlined in the Beatitudes, right, chapter 5 of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, when we admit to all those needs and we say, yeah, that, that's me, that, that, that's me, um, it's only then that God begins a total transformation of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Again, we've been working so hard, we as humans work so hard on those last two, mind and strength. But God's like, you know what? That's not going to work. You have to involve your whole self. You are a complete being. You can't slice and dice and deal with one without dealing with the other two or three. God begins a total transformation. Only then are we finally set on the road to recovery. Only then do we and everyone around us begin to experience the abundant life, right? The eternal life that, that Jesus spoke so often about. And again, I just want to make clear on this, that isn't just heaven then, it's heaven now. Heaven now. So how will we know that this is all happening? How will we know that God is doing that work inside of us? Our heart and soul are now being affected also, not just our minds and our strengths. In the very next verse, Paul describes a life totally transformed, a tree and a root surgery, transformation, I don't know what you call it, an overhaul that will only then begin to produce the good fruit that I think we and God want to see. But the fruit of the Spirit, right? The first one is fruit of the flesh. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Great line here at the again, against such things there is no law. Again, that's a funky phrase. Uh, basically, it's the concluding. If you compare these two ways of living by the flesh and by the spirit, um, this kind of fruit here cannot be produced by law. That's basically, that last line says, no law can produce this kind of fruit. You can't will your way to this kind of fruit. This kind of fruit is only produced by the Holy Spirit in your life, heart and soul, not just mind and strength. So, what does a tree and a root overhaul look like, right? If we can't behave or make right choices our way to producing good fruit, what do we do? What can we do? First of all, recognize a very, very simple truth. This is so important. Choice is necessary but not sufficient for spiritual growth, right? Spiritual growth is always a combination of at least three things. And listen very carefully. The number one thing is you start choosing good things. Number two is you, you get a support group around you, right? Whether it's the body of Christ, whether it's Bible study, there's a thousand, uh, doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, um, Christian counseling, uh, good friends. I mean, the, 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 it, it's so wide open how many resources you have available to you. And God is saying, look, use all these resources. Use them all. We looked at that last week. Use them all. Admit your need. And then access support. And then the third thing, this is the part we don't like. This is the heart and soul part. 
This is the part that's so painful. This is, this is the part that's called surgery. This is the part that God like reaches into your life and digs just a little too deep and you go, wow, wow. You touched a nerve there, Jesus. Said, yeah, I know. That's what's producing the bad fruit in your life. And until we deal with that raw nerve there, Jerry, you're going to try to produce good fruit. You're going to try to be good, and you're going to fail at every turn. You're going to be bitter, and you're going to be angry. You're going to be like that prodigal, the older son. So if we can't grow by choosing good behavior and right choices, what can we do? We can choose to do a great number of things. I want to close with this list here. It's going to be quick. But I want you to sit on whichever ones that you need to sit on. You can take your pick. You can pick all of these. In fact, I think we all need to pick all of them. These are the things that we can. These are the choices that we can make. Confess our sins. Admit that we can't save ourselves. Submit our inability to God. Seek help in searching for our faults. Ask some people, right? Am I doing this? Am I angering you? Repent, forgive, make amends. Next one, admit our needs and let others help. Invest in and practice our talents. Seek God, seek truth. Love one another. All these choices assume weakness and humility. They focus not on being good, not on good behavior, but on working out our salvation with fear and trembling. These choices will succeed where trying to be good is destined to fail. These choices will begin to reproduce in your life your heavenly Father. Right? You're going to begin to look like God. You're going to be Christ-like. And he's going to do it from the inside out. So it becomes something natural. Again, because we do what, what we love. And so that's where, that's where Jesus starts. I want to close with this passage that we closed with last week, and I think we need to do it again. Matthew chapter 7 says this, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And here's the kicker. Here's for us this morning. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Unless you allow God to do that deeper work inside you, all your efforts, again, you're going to end up angry and frustrated. Let God do something amazing in you. Let him transform your heart. You bow your heads. Let me close in prayer. Father, we just seek a heart transformation from you this morning. So many of us, we've tried to do this with our minds and our strength, our humanness. But, Father, you included all four there, and they include really two radically different ideas. Our effort, but, but you too. We cannot do this alone. So, Father, help us to recognize that. Help us to be just so honest with ourselves that we would say, Father, start digging in deep. I, I, I know there are some things in there, and I don't even like to talk about them, but, Father, I, I guess we're going to need to talk about them because I've been trying to produce good fruit, and I just produce bad fruit. No matter how much I try, I cannot pull this off, and I'm recognizing that maybe it's something, something way down in there. Right, that I, I, my loves aren't ordered properly. So Father, 
for every person here in my voice that you would begin at, at their invitation heart transformation thank you for this work that you begun and your word says that you will complete thank you father in your son's name I pray